We're going to look here at Ruth 2 now and under the title, Grace at Harvest Time. And grace is God doing for someone that which they don't deserve. Grace is God doing for someone that which they cannot do for themselves. And the story of Ruth is one of amazing grace. This is highlighted in the fact that she was a foreigner, and more than just a foreigner, she was a Moabite, one of the nations that were singled out by God, never to be allowed to become near to the place of worship. That was because they were particularly wicked people, and they were very cruel to the people of Israel as they were traveling towards the promised land. But grace is shown to this lady, Ruth. And we see here, first of all, grace in providence. Now, what is providence? Well, the Shorter Catechism tells us that God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. Providence is God ruling over everything, and through what happens, working out His plans for the good of His people. And God's great plan was outworked in seeing Ruth, this outsider, this Moabite, being brought to the promised land. God used the famine. He even used the the failings of Elimelech and Naomi. He even used the fact that they left the promised land. He used the, the wrong marriage relationships that they entered into. All of this was part of His plan so that, indeed, Ruth would be brought back to Bethlehem and become part of God's people. And it's wonderful to know that God is working out His plans more than we can ever imagine. In the good days, in the challenging days, God is working out His plan of grace in so many people's lives. This is one of the amazing truths that we can be sure of today. And this is wonderful to behold that God is working out His purposes of grace in ways that we are unaware of. Christians can see this as we look back at our lives, as we look back particularly at our salvation. Our salvation is like all these different pieces of a jigsaw puzzle that God brings together in order that we get the full picture of of Jesus and what we need to do. And so we look back, we can see His grace and His providence in Him providing for all of our needs. So there's grace and providence. But secondly, there's grace in God's law. The book of Leviticus says this, chapter 19. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard burr, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So that was a law that the people of Israel were to keep. God's law, it made provision for the poor. It was a good law. It was a kind and a very gracious law to help those in most need. Now, probably though, if you were maybe a landowner, you maybe didn't like that law. You maybe wished that you could take every last piece of grain out of the field and take whatever you could. Where God says you have to allow a wee bit of slack. You have to allow a bit of freedom to help those in need. And I think just that's a good example that sometimes we see God's law, we see the requirements of God's Word, we can see them as being 
bothersome, awkward, uncomfortable at times, maybe not easy to obey. But we need to remember that God's commandments come from a God of perfect wisdom, of perfect knowledge, of perfect love, and perfect grace. And when we begin to understand the Bible that way, we need to understand and accept that even those challenging parts, and I've always said my struggle with the Bible is never the bits I don't understand. My bigger struggle is with the bits I do understand in obeying that. And when we struggle to obey, let's remember that this is a word given with perfect wisdom and perfect love. God's law in this instance was concerned about the community as a whole, and not just about the individual who owned the field. It was encouraging his people to look out for the needs of others. Communism is something in this world which has been very wicked, very oppressive. It's something that's been a very anti-God system of government. It's a very evil thing. But the principle at the heart of communism isn't wrong. That people should be caring for the community before self. Not just caught up with themselves. And the problem is that in the West, we have gone so far the other way, we have become far too individualistic, so caught up in ourselves, so caught up just maybe in our families, that we're not outward looking enough to the needs of others. And that's a big problem when it creeps into the church. We need to watch out, we need to look out for ourselves, yes. We need to look after ourselves, physically and spiritually. But we look after ourselves so that we can then help care for the needs of others. The Bible talks about the church as the body, the body of Christ, caring for every member. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 emphasizes us in the middle is that section of love. This is to be the hallmark of the body of Christ, the people of God, a people who support uphold each other, care for every member of those with particular struggles, need particular attention, it, it highlights. So, in the decisions we make about our involvement in church and what we do, it shouldn't be just about, well, what suits me? What suits my family? What's for the greater good? We, we were thinking at the last men's night of the subject of, of loneliness and it is available on uh, YouTube for people who want to watch that. And we were saying, you know, sometimes we maybe have a family and we have a, maybe have quite a number of Christians in our home, and we don't feel like we don't have the need to go out to the Bible study or to the prayer meeting. But that's just exactly the problem. We're, we're caught up with what I think. We need to go out and to be really engaged in the family of God so that those who don't have Christians in their home, those who are maybe the only person living in their own home, they have a family that they can engage with and mix with and be encouraged with. So it shouldn't just be about what suits me, what suits my family. It's what's for the good of the whole body of Christ. So here we see the grace in God's law, encouraging a care for others. And then thirdly, we see grace and motivation here. Ruth was aware of this provision for gleaning 
that was in God's law to help the poor. And she didn't then just decide, well, there's that provision, I'll just sit at home and wait and see what happens and maybe some food will come our way. No, she is, in the light of the provision of the law, she's motivated to go out to work hard and to provide for her mother-in-law and herself. The reapers described to Boaz how Ruth has worked from early morning constantly with just a short rest in verse 7 there. And the amount of grain she had at the end of the day spoke of her hard work. She had an ephah. That's about 22 liters or an old money. Uh, that's about five gallons of grain. That's an awful lot that she had gathered. I don't know how she was able, able to carry it all. It would have been quite a weight. God's grace, God's great, gracious provision through his word motivated her to take the steps that she could to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. In life in general, when we have need, and in regards to salvation particularly, it's important not just to sit back and wait for something to happen. We're encouraged to act. Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So if you're not a Christian, the Bible doesn't say just sit there and hope one day something might happen. The Bible says, seek the Lord. Be active in this. This is the most important thing in your life, that you come and embrace the Lord and come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. How do you seek the Lord? You seek the Lord by reading His Word, opening the Bible. And if you've got out of the habit of reading the Bible, start with the Gospels. That's often a good place to start. Sitting under the regular teaching of God's Word. Seeking the Lord with honest prayer, not just putting on a show for what you think God might want to hear. Be honest with God. Be honest with your struggles of coming to trust and to give yourself to Jesus. Be honest with the Lord. Be honest and seek His mercy. And you seek the Lord by shunning evil influences. I told a story many years ago. It was actually in 2009 here. It was the time we had the mission. I told a story about in Chicago train station. A train comes out on the one track and then it is able, because of the points, is able to divide. And initially, the vision is just a matter of millimeters, and then it gets bigger and bigger. And the result of that divide is that one train will end on the west coast of America, and the other will end on the east coast of America. But it's just one wee division at the beginning made all the difference. And you know, one wee step, one wee step to start reading the Bible, one we step to be more faithful in sitting under the teaching of God's Word. One we step to be honest with God in prayer. One we step to turn from evil into it. Who knows where you will end up? The Puritans talked about putting ourselves in the path of grace. And you put your way in the path of grace by seeking the Lord through His Word, through prayer, through shunning that which is evil. And then fourthly, we see in this passage, grace 
in God's people. And I think this is beautiful, and this could be a whole sermon in itself. And what is done by God's people here for Ruth, who was an outsider, a foreigner, it is absolutely lovely. It's so honoring to the God of Israel how they treat this woman here. And I'm just going to list some of these things here as we go through this. First of all, we have Boaz's invitation for her to stay in his field in verse 8. He says to her, don't go to another field. You stay here in my field, making her know that she was very, very welcome. We're to be a welcoming people. We're to get over our shyness and to welcome people and engage with people. Secondly, there's Boaz's encouragement for the women and the young men to, to look out for her, not to treat her badly, but to treat her well in verse 9. Then there's the provision of water for her to sustain her in verse 9. Then there are the kind words about her faithfulness to Naomi in verse 11 to 12 that Boaz talks to her about what she's done and commends her for them, and that really does encourage her. She says that. There's the provision of food in verse 14. She's allowed to come and to take the food that Boaz's servants are doing. And more than that, there is the provision of fellowship. She's able to take the food with Boaz and his servants. She's able to share with them, to engage with them, to communicate with them. There's then a, a directive in verse 15 to, of saying nothing to make her uncomfortable. In this uh, reaping, in this gleaning, there was an etiquette. And the etiquette was that the reapers who belonged to the owner of the field, they would go and they would reap. And then those who are gleaning, the poor people, would keep a distance back and they wouldn't overstep the mark and they wouldn't go in front or even be around the reapers of the man who owned the field. But what does it say here in verse 15? Even if she goes among the sheaves, even if she gets in the middle of it while the reapers are, don't say anything to her. Don't embarrass her that she's doing anything wrong. Don't make her uncomfortable. Be kind. It amazes me. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, people don't think about the impact of what they, they say to people. Uh, one of the things I, I say to people, and we have quite a few folk in our congregation at the moment who, who have cancer. One thing I say to these people, if anybody starts to share you horror stories about treatment of that, cut them short, cut them short. You don't need to hear that. As a minister, I have a lot of knowledge of how people have reacted and responded with treatment. A lot of knowledge I will never share with people because they don't need to hear that. We choose our words wisely. What will encourage, what will help? Not words that will make their challenging times more difficult. And then there's verse 16, going out of their way and making things easier for her. Even pulling some of the sheaves out, throwing a bit extra on the ground, so that indeed it would be easier for her to get even more to provide the needs of herself and her, her mother-in-law. Here we see a great example of what a caring fellowship of God's people should be like and those qualities. But you know what? As I think of those qualities, I just think of Jesus. When you come to know Jesus, when you come to experience Christ, that's the way Jesus deals with his people, with such love, with such tenderness. Yes, he can give us a strong word when we need it. 
but there's such grace in how he helps us as we follow him. You know, we need to mirror that in our dealings of others. You see, we picture coming up, I was shown this wee clip uh, this week uh, on YouTube, and uh, click the wee picture up there, and this is in Mississippi in America, and this man is in a store, and uh, he's one of those people you dread to have in front of you in the queue. He's going to pay uh, $12 something all with change, okay? And the lady behind the counter, she's pretty brisk with him, and he's really struggling, and she says things to him. He loses count. He has to start again. And then what happens is that there's a young adult, a young colored fella. He then says, can I help you? And he helps the man to count the money. And the storekeeper says to him, the counter assistant says to him, why are you helping him? He just gives her the silent treatment and just goes on and helps. And it turns out he counts all the money, and the man is $2 short. And so a lady who's also in the counter, she goes forward and she says, here, here's $2 to the man. And the counter assistant says, why are you helping him? And it actually was a setup. It's one of those programs uh, in America called What Would You Do? And when the people who were helping the man didn't know it was a setup. But they were then interviewed afterwards asked to why they helped him. And the young colored man, this is what his reply was. He says, I am a Christian youth pastor, so I'm about helping people. And the lady who gave the the $2 to make up the the difference, they asked her, she says, this is Mississippi Bible Belt. God has blessed us, so why would we not bless other people? I thought, wasn't that lovely? And that went out to national television in America. I hope we're like that, just looking for opportunities to help, to care for the family of God, to care for each other. That's what we need, grace in God's people. There's a minister I know, he used to serve in Balamina Presbyterian, but I'm not going to say who he is. Uh, He was asked one time, when he gets to heaven, is there a question, what will be the first question he wants to ask Jesus? And he says, well, it's this. Why are so many people who are saved by grace not a lot more gracious? I think that's a challenge for us all. Grace in God's people. And then finally, we see grace in the Redeemer. When Ruth returns home and Naomi is amazed at how much she has gleaned, she then discovers she's been in the field of their relative Boaz there, verse 19. And more than Boaz being a relative, Naomi is able to tell Ruth that he is described in verse 20 as a redeemer. This was a man who was a close enough relative who could step in to regain their lost land and help provide for their needs. This redeemer could take them out of their poverty and provide for them a secure inheritance for the future. And This is a new idea to Ruth. She would have known about this before, and Naomi is sharing this message about the Redeemer. And we have a wonderful picture here, of course, of Jesus. Now, we'll look a wee bit more of how this worked out in this story tonight, and I hope you're able to come back for that. 
But we have a wonderful picture in this Redeemer of Jesus. Due to our sin, we are spiritually hopeless and helpless. We, we are spiritually bankrupt, trying to glean a few spiritual grains to help us by saying our prayers and reading our Bibles, which doesn't save us and doesn't make us right with God. But then we're gleaning in the field of the Redeemer, who is Jesus, who comes to lift us wonderfully out of our poverty, to lift us out of our dire need, and to give us an inheritance, an eternal inheritance that is secure forever. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. It says we verse in this story of Ruth, almost by chance she happened to be in the field of Boaz. And of course, it wasn't by chance. It was in the providence of God. How much more wonderful to be in church today among God's people because here you're in the field of Jesus the Redeemer. The Jesus who wants to lift you out of your sin, to lift you out of your spiritual poverty. He's died on the cross so that we could be saved from our sin. He has done that and he wants you to come and to grasp hold of him as your Redeemer. You have two choices to go on in life. You can go on by yourself without hope. Or you can embrace this Redeemer who is Jesus and have a hope in life and a hope for eternity. Why? Why would you resist Jesus? Yes, it's a cost to follow him. There's a, we, our lives have to be changed. Yes, we have to repent of our sin. Yes, we have to accept him as our Lord and Master. There's a challenge in that, and some of the old things in life have to go, yes. But we're following one with a wisdom, a love, and grace beyond measure. Why would we resist him? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful story of Ruth. How out of such sadness and misery with the death of Elimelech and Malon and Killian, Lord, that indeed the story has turned around with this lady Ruth, this outsider, this foreigner, this person who was, as part of the Moabite people, was under your curse, O God. But then, Lord, she's brought under your grace. What an amazing story. And may that not just be the story of Ruth. Oh, Father, by your grace, may that be our story. People who are sinful, people who are fallen, people who are messed up, but are people who are restored by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, brought into his salvation. Oh, Father, for anyone who's resisting you, and the old devil will be putting thoughts in their heads to hold them back. May this be the day, this harvest Sunday, when they come and embrace him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.